When we last gathered together 13 weeks ago, we were midway through Hebrews 11, and today uh, we are nearing the end of Hebrews chapter 13. And so uh, hopefully you've been able to follow along as we've been putting our sermons online. Uh, They're also available on Spotify and iTunes, on Facebook, YouTube. If you don't know what any of those things are and you haven't been following along or able to follow along, uh, we do have CDs of the sermon audio and we can make those available to you. And so if you'll just let me or Pastor Nick know or Madison, uh, we'll be glad to get CDs together for you. Because uh, it is important to understand uh, what's taking place between Hebrews 11 and where we find ourselves today in Hebrews 13, 17 through 19. Uh, but here's a very brief summary. Uh, essentially what the writer of Hebrews is doing here is he communicates to these Hebrew believers who are being persecuted, to these Hebrew believers, many of whom uh, might have been considering leaving the faith, he has told them that the Christian life is like a race and that we need to run the race with endurance, that we need to look to Jesus Christ who's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And so as we've walked through these passages, we've seen that racing theme and that need to endure and to press on and that desire that we should have as God's people to finish the race. He's also talked, as you just heard Madison reading there in Hebrews 13, about making sacrifices pleasing to God. Now the writer of Hebrews, of course, uh, has gone back to the Old Testament quite a bit. And in going back to the Old Testament, he's given us a picture of that Old Testament sacrificial system where God's people would make animal sacrifices, blood sacrifices on behalf of their sin. The priest would present that blood sacrifice as an offering for the sin of the one who gave it. But now he's talking about a different sacrifice. We don't do that now. We don't get our blood sacrifice and give it before the Lord. No, because there's been a blood sacrifice that's been made. Our Lord Jesus and his blood that was shed on the cross covers us. It's a full and final sacrifice. And so when we read about sacrifices pleasing to God, we're reading about our call as Christians to run the race well and what that's to look like as we run the race well. And that's what chapter 13 has been about. And in particular, in today's passage, it deals with the call of the pastor and the call of the congregation. How we are to respond to one another. How we are to live together. How we are to function together in the church. Those who God has called to lead the church. Those who God has called to be a part of the church. And I fall into both those categories. I am one of your pastors. And I am one of your members. That's why you'll notice there in your outline today. It says we And so this is not just me as a pastor saying, listen church, here's all the things you need to do. No, this is God's word to all of us and what we need to do in respect to the authority that God has placed over us. I'm a man before you today who serves under the authority of the pastors of this church. Now, up until recently, we had a staff transition. Uh, We had three pastors here. Uh, Pastor Nick Bateman, myself, and Pastor Matt Thompson. Uh, Pastor Matt's now transitioned. He's in Somerset. Uh, They're doing well there. Uh, Soon we'll be calling another pastor at some point, and then we'll have three pastors here again. We may have even more than that in the future. I, I don't know what the future holds. But I am a person who submits himself to the authority of our pastors, that plurality of pastors we have here. And we'll talk more about that as we go through this passage today. But I pray that as we do, 
that we'll better understand and better learn again what it means to live according to, to run according to this word that God has given us. So again, let me call your attention uh, to Hebrews 13. Uh, Madison just read it in its entirety so we could get the context. But again, let's look at verse 17 through 19. Obey your leaders and submit to them for their keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to, your, to you sooner. So let's take a moment to pray for this time and to pray for our study of God's word. If you would pray with me. Father God, I thank you that you are sovereign and that you are good. Nothing, nothing takes place outside of your sovereign will and your sovereign hand. And so help us, Lord, to trust in you today. Help us, Lord, to live in obedience to you today. And Lord, when, when there are things within us, when our flesh cries out that we don't want to listen and we don't want to obey, Lord, would you convict us, overwhelm us with the power of your Holy Spirit, with your word and our need to respond and to walk and to run this race in repentance and faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a number of years ago, uh, I had an assignment. I was working uh, on my initial degree in seminary, my master's degree, and uh, this assignment was the study of a different religious group. I was studying the Unitarian Universalist Church. Uh, you may not be familiar with the Unitarian University. It's a very uh, small group of congregations, uh, mostly in the Northeast today. Uh, but part of my study included going to a Unitarian Universalist church and observing their worship service. And we lived in Bowling Green at the time, and being a university town, uh, there was a Unitarian Universalist church. And so uh, I went there not quite knowing what to expect, and uh, in God's providence, I happened to go on a day uh, when someone from their organization, someone higher up, had come in from out of state and was basically meeting with this congregation about whether or not they were going to hire a full-time pastor. And so at this time, they didn't have any full-time pastor. They had just different people in the church doing those duties, uh, but they were considering hiring a full-time pastor, and this person was there to help them process through this decision. Now, in the midst of this conversation, uh, one individual stood up and said something that I'll never forget. Uh, she said, listen, I spent most of my life in churches with pastors who told me what I was supposed to believe and what I was supposed to do, and I'm sick and tired of it. So whoever we hire, I just want to make sure they tell us exactly what we want to hear and they don't tell us what we're supposed to do. And I thought to myself, I wonder how many members of my Baptist church feel the exact same way. <laughs> they just wouldn't be bold enough to say it. Now, Make no mistake about it. The Unitarian Universalist Church is, is not an Orthodox church at all. It's actually a combination of two uh, groups with false teachings. You had the uh, Unitarians who deny the Trinity. They deny the deity of Christ. Uh, Thomas Jefferson was a famous Unitarian. If you've ever heard of the Jefferson Bible, he actually took all references, our president, Thomas Jefferson, to the deity of Jesus Christ out of the Bible. He actually cut them out. You can see that on display along with many of his uh, personal belongings. Uh, 
so the Unitarians denied the divinity of Jesus. The Universalists uh, basically believed that everybody was going to heaven. It's universal salvation. Both those congregations were dying off over the years. In the 1960s, they combined. And even today, they're dying off. So it wasn't real shocking to hear someone stand up in that context, in that congregation, and say, we don't want to be told what to believe. We don't want to be told what to do. You would expect that in a group of people who have bad theology and don't submit themselves to the authority of God's Word. But the sad reality is that same spirit is alive and well in churches with good orthodoxy, in churches who claim to believe and follow the Word of God, because that spirit is the flesh that we have come out of. That spirit is what in us pushes back against the Word of God, and says, I don't want to be told what to do. Now, we might call it a lot of different things. We might call it, uh, well, that person's just, you know, they're just real independent, or that person's real strong-minded. But what we as God's people are called to do is come under the authority of God's Word and consider, what is this saying to me, and what do I need to do in response to it? And particularly, this passage today has something to say to all of us. And so let's just walk through it this morning with those five points that I've put in your outline. The first one being this. The first thing we see here, the first call, is that pastors are called to care for the souls of their congregation. This is the call of the pastor. The pastor is called to be a shepherd. The pastor is called to care for souls. Myself, Pastor Nick, our primary calling from God to you as a church is we are to care for your soul. And the picture here is the picture of a shepherd watching over the flock. That's what he says in verse 17. Pastors are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Now again, the context here, based on what's said, leads us to the conclusion, likely, that there were some issues within this church of Hebrew believers. There were some problems with believers in this church who were struggling to obey their leaders, struggling to submit to their authority. And so in order to frame this and to help them understand what they were called to do, the writer of Hebrews begins with telling the pastor what the pastor's to do and by showing them the role of the pastor as the shepherd. And this is a role we see throughout the Scripture. Now, for example, Paul writes about this in his challenge to the elders in Ephesus. And he writes, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained by his own blood. You see, the Scripture, the New Testament, uses the word elder, pastor, shepherd, overseer. These things are, are what we as pastors function as today. And that's again why I say pastors. We function as a plurality of pastors. I'm under authority here. The other pastors are under authority here. We work together in order to fulfill this call that God has put before us. We read about it in 1 Peter 5 as well. Peter's challenge to his fellow elders and pastors. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, 
as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So this is the picture. Jesus Christ is the great shepherd. He is the one that we look to. He is the author, the perfecter of our faith. He has founded our faith. He sustains our faith. We are running this race until the day we enter into glory and we are there under the chief shepherd's care. But between this day and that day, God has given us His church. And He has given the church pastors, elders, overseers. And He has called us to be shepherds, under-shepherds. We are to care for the flock. We are to care for the local church. We are to care for your souls until that day when you enter into glory. That is our job. And I'm very mindful as a pastor of that job, particularly of what we read in verse 17, that I will give an account. Now when you consider the weight of this passage and what that means, it helps you, it helps me to understand why biblical church membership is so important. It is important as a shepherd to actually know who the sheep are. It is impossible as a shepherd to care for the soul of someone who lives three states away and hasn't attended this church in 25 years. But the context so many of us are in today, including Bloomfield Baptist Church, is we have inflated roles and we have this notion so many carry around with them that they want to be a member of a church and they want to be on the role of a church even if they never actually attend that church or are involved in the life of the congregation of that church. I encounter this all the time. I had a conversation not long ago with someone who was telling me that uh, their family member was a long-standing member of our church and going on and on about a few things. I had no idea who they were talking about. Some of you might, but I've been here for 10 years. But what we see in this passage is it really brings to surface this issue of what the local church should really look like. I am called, our pastors are called to care for your souls. That requires relationship. That requires fellowship. That requires us to be around one another. One of the things I've missed the most over these last 13 weeks is just those hallway conversations. It's just those opportunities to spend time with one another each Lord's Day and Wednesday nights and members' meetings to, to talk about what's going on in your life and how are you doing. I've never called many of you. We've had phone conversations. But it's just not the same as being around one another, with one another, being able to carry the burdens of one another. That's the picture of the local church that God has called us to. And so the shepherd is to care for the flock that is present, here, active, involved, seen, known, and able to be led. That is the call of the pastor. But the other part of this relationship and what's so necessary for the shepherd to fulfill that call then is the congregation. It's the responsibility of the local church member, of the sheep. And that's what the rest of this passage focuses on. And that's where we'll go next. Point two. 
So in response to this call of the shepherds to care for souls, we, myself included, we, members of this church, we are called to responsive obedience. Responsive obedience. Now I understand when I say the word obey, that sounds more like training an animal than it sounds like being a member of a church in our culture and context today. We hear the word obey, and there's just something about that that so often we we push back against. But understand what God's Word is telling us here. That this word obey in the Scripture here, in the Greek here, that the context here is that we are not only to listen, but we are to act. We're not just to be hearers of the Word, we're to be doers of the Word. We are to bring to fruition the Word that we are taught. Remember what the writer here communicated in verse 7 when he said, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Again, the context here is not that these leaders are abusing their authority. It's not that these leaders are unbiblical. No, the context here is that these leaders, pastors, elders, shepherds, overseers, that they're fulfilling their role. And in response, it seems there's a problem in this church with people actually obeying the word that they're taught. That there's people pushing back against it. And so the writer here reminds them that they are not to do that. They are to responsibly obey. That means when the Word of God is preached and your life does not align with the Word of God, your call, my call, is to repent. Our call is not to respond to that Word by saying, well, that's just your interpretation. We are not to respond to that word by saying, well, well, you know what, me and God are fine. Who are you to tell me what to do? I'm just going to go do my own thing. And we are certainly not to respond like that individual I heard at the Unitarian Universalist Church years ago who said, I don't want someone telling me what to do, and I don't want someone telling me I'm wrong. No, we are called to responsive obedience. So so here's what this looks like. When Pastor Nick comes before this pulpit and I'm in that congregation along with you and he preaches from 1 John 4 and 1 John 4 tells us about how we're to love one another in the body of Christ and how we're to love because God first loved us and the scripture tells us if we don't love our brother and sister, that's reflective that we don't fully understand and have not responded to the love of God that I am to search my heart and you're to search your heart and we're to examine and consider is there a brother or sister in the faith that I am not loving right now. Now, that that doesn't mean that we're all just alike and we all agree on everything. You get a group of Baptists together, even socially distanced in a church gym, and we're not all going to agree on stuff. I'll give you an example right now. Be honest with me. Is anybody cold? Raise your hand. Okay? Put your hands down. Is anybody hot? Raise your hand. See what I'm saying? And I get to shepherd you. (laughs) See, that, that, that's, that's just a, a minor thing. That, that's a temperature thing. That, that's not a sin issue. But that's who we are. We, we have different thoughts, different opinions, and even different ways our bodies respond to environments. And so, there are differences that might come up. I'm not saying that we can't be different people have different thoughts about things. But what I am saying, what God's Word does say, is we are fundamentally called to love one another. There is no excuse in the body of Christ 
to have hatred in your heart towards another believer. And there's absolutely no excuse in the body of Christ to build up walls and barriers against another believer and to be unloving towards them. I will never forget the horrifically terrible advice an older minister gave me years ago when I was asking him a long time ago about how to deal with conflict between two church members. He said, well, I'll tell you what you should do, Pastor. You just make sure that those two people are never together in the church. You make sure they serve on different committees. You make sure they come to different services, and you'll be just fine. And that advice wasn't worth squat, Jesus. It was terrible. Because that's not what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches we are to love one another. And so when we bring ourselves under the authority of God's Word, and we bring ourselves under the authority of those who preach God's Word, when we hear that we are to love one another, we don't give excuses. We repent and we turn from our sin. And that's how we continue in the race. That's the call of God. We are called to responsive obedience. And friends, hear me on this. You cannot grow is a follower of Christ if you refuse to follow those Christ has put in authority in your life. You cannot grow as a follower of Christ if you refuse to follow those that God has put as an authority in your life. God has given us the church and the structure of the church for a reason, and we are called to responsive obedience. Third, we're called to respectful submission. Verse 17 says, not only obey your leaders, but to submit to them. Again, another word in our culture that we just kind of push back. Some of us hear the word submit and the hair on the back of our neck stands up. But you have to understand the context here. The context is that the body of Christ, that the brothers and sisters of the faith, that we as a congregation, we are not called to just be a bunch of individual believers, a bunch of lone ranger believers out there on our own, independent of one another, doing our own thing. No, we are called collectively Collectively together as the body of Christ and God has given us authority in the body of Christ and we are called to yield to that authority. That's the picture that we see in Ephesians chapter 4 that we looked at earlier. That God gave some as apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ. And so pastors, when they are serving as they should, when they are teaching God's Word as they should, when they are rightly shepherding, we are called to yield ourselves to that shepherding. But we don't yield blindly. Hear me on this. This is a passage among many that has been abused in the church. This is a passage that poor leaders and poor unbiblical pastors have used to beat God's people over the head and to lead them the wrong way. This is not a call to yield blindly. God's Word instructs us to keep our pastors accountable. God's Word instructs pastors that they are to carry out these responsibilities biblically. If a pastor abuses his position of authority and does not rightly care for the congregation God has placed before him, then that pastor should be swiftly removed by that church and by the action of that church. And so I serve you as your pastor, one of them, and you are under that authority. And at the same time, I serve you as a congregation, understanding that I, as a congregation, can be removed from this office by you, the congregation. And that is the authority of the local church. 
But the picture here should be the pastor serving well and rightly and the church yielding to that service as they're called to do. And as I said, I'm called to do this as well. Why I love being in a church, we have a plurality of pastors. I don't want the weight of every decision. I don't want everything to go my way. And there are many times in recent years when Pastor Matt and Pastor Nick and I sat around and talked about decisions and, and the three of us weren't on the same page. And that's a good thing. We yield to one another. And we submit ourselves to one another. And by the grace of God, then we move forward together as a church in respectful submission. Number four, we're called to loving cooperation. Loving cooperation. Notice there at the end of verse 17, and he says of the leaders, let them do this. In other words, let them watch over your souls with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And again, the context here is likely that there were some in this early church who were not living in obedience and submission to the leaders God had placed over them. And as a result, uh, this was not benefiting the people of God. Uh, this was not benefiting those leaders. This was not a joy for them. It was groaning for him, them, and now the writer is correcting them. And so in this correction, he reminds them of the pastor, elder, shepherd's responsibility to lead and care for their souls and their responsibility to obey and submit. And additionally, he says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. So let's consider a few words here, joy. Now personally, I can say, it is a joy to be your pastor. I often have conversations with other pastors at other churches, and I hear about groaning after groaning after groaning. And at times, I feel a little bit bad at times that I don't have a lot of groaning stories to share. I have great joy that comes from leading this church and leading alongside Pastor Nick. You are a pleasant people to lead. It is a great joy to have the freedom to open up God's Word and to preach it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It is a great joy to have conversations with many of you and to hear you talk about the application of God's Word in your life. It is a joy to spend time with you and to fellowship with you. But you see here, it's not always joy to shepherd and pastor God's people. And he speaks as well about groaning. And while I can, again, very clearly say that my ministry here has very little groaning, it's had some groaning. <laughs> it will have some groaning. We're, we're not perfect people. And you'll notice here the context. This, this groaning comes with dealing with disobedient believers who refuse to submit themselves to the authority of God's Word and to God's church. Now, this groaning personally comes when I see believers who refuse to repent of sin. Now, this groaning personally comes when people refuse to gather with us, to worship with us. This, again, weird dynamic in, in this community and in other communities like ours where people want to have their name on a roll, but they don't want to have anything to do with us. Friends, that's not only hard to shepherd, that just produces groaning in the life of your pastors. 
God calls us to loving cooperation. God calls us to unity. God calls us to come together as the body of Christ with different opinions and different thoughts about so many things in the world and even different thoughts about the Scripture at times. But He calls us to lovingly cooperate together. And when we do that, it brings great joy. Not just to us collectively as a church, certainly it brings joy to your pastors. But God will bring people into the church at times, or we will just find people coming to the church at times who want to go their own way and push back against everything. I had a conversation years ago with a pastor talking about this issue, and he was telling me in his church that he had someone, a member of his church, long-standing member, active member of the church, who whenever they would vote on something, uh, they would always vote no. And he said this person explained themselves by saying, well, I just don't think it's healthy for us to have unanimous votes, and I think that my role is to always vote no to anything just to kind of keep us humble and keep us in check. Friends, that's not discerning. That's divisive. That, that's silliness. That's not Scripture. That is a spirit of, I'm just going to kind of push back on things, and that does not bring joy to the body of Christ and to those who lead it. Again, I'm not talking about blindly following. I'm talking about we are to be a congregation of believers who come together humbly seeking the Word of God, and by God's grace, when things are placed before us that we can be unanimous on, let's be unanimous on them. We are congregationalists. We do vote on things. There'll be times when one or two or maybe a hundred people will vote no to something. That's fine. But let's do that convictionally based on where we feel the Lord leading us. And not some little niche of, I just want to be the person who pushes back against things. That's divisive. And that's not what we're called to. We're called to loving cooperation. And then last, we're called to pray for our pastors. Verse 18, pray for us, the writer tells us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things, and I urge you to more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. How can the pastor rightly shepherd the people with joy through the prayers of God's people? And how can God's people make an offering pleasing to God? Well, one way is to pray for their pastors. And here, very specifically, the prayer request that's given is to act honorably in all things. That means we are called to pray for our pastors that the walk of the pastor would match the talk of the pastor, that the pastor would be a good example to the flock and act honorably in all things. And by extension, I personally have asked many times, for your prayers. I ask you to pray for our families, for our walks with the Lord, for our ministry to be an overflow of our walk with the Lord. To pray for our joy in leading. Ministry is hard. Ministry during a pandemic is exhausting. And for me personally, this has been the most difficult season of my life. And what has made it entirely more difficult is not being able to gather with you during it. God did not intend His people to grieve independent. Now, we are to share our grief and share our suffering with our church family. And while 
I have seen that in my own life personally to an extent. I've been thankful for your cards, and I cannot tell you how thankful I am for your prayers. There's no replacement for this gathering of the people of God. God calls us to gather together to pray for one another, to encourage one another, and to lift one another up. This is the call on the congregation and the call on the pastor. Pastors who will shepherd the flock and flocks who will live in obedience and submission to the word that they're taught and pray for their pastors. And friends, if we can do this, this glimpse of what we see, then I pray God will use that to reach this lost and wicked and evil world that we find ourselves in. I don't know what the fruition of this season in our culture and our world is going to be, but I know God is sovereign over it. And so let's trust Him in the midst of it. Let's seek to live in obedience to His Word in the midst of it. And let's look for ways that we can give people who are depressed and anxious and overwhelmed and angry and upset the hope that we have within us that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is not our home. But we're here for now. And let's use this season. Let's use this time, this place that we're in for God's glory and for our good. So if you would pray with me to that end. Father God, we thank you that you are faithful And Lord, I pray as we consider this word, a word that tells us how we are to function as a church, how pastors are to lead, how congregations are to follow, that we would be mindful of that word and obedient to it. And I pray, Lord, personally, as we just consider your word today, that if there's anything here that we are not living according to, that we would repent. If we find our lives today not aligned with what your word teaches, help us to turn and help us to trust. And for those today, Lord, that are anxious and overwhelmed, to those today, Lord, who are fearful and frightened, Lord, help us to be reminded of your faithfulness and your goodness. We pray, God, for peace in our country and peace in our community. We do pray, Lord, for unity and for justice. But Lord, without the gospel and without the saving faith that comes through trusting in Jesus, we will be lost. We need to trust in Christ. We need to lead others to trust in Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would empower us to do that through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Church family, just a, a note about what we're going to do now. Uh, as we have changed up the order a little bit, Uh, We are not doing the Lord's Supper corporately at this season. We're not passing offering plates. Uh, We would ask as you leave our time of worship after we sing, uh, you can place your offering in the baskets. You can continue to give online uh, or mail in your contributions. Uh, We're going to take a moment to sing, and after we do, uh, Pastor Nick is going to lead us through the doxology, and then he's going to dismiss you by section and rows so that we're not all just kind of bottlenecked at the exit. Uh, While we're singing, I'm going to open up the doors, the exits here and the ones out there so you don't have to touch those handles. And again, we invite you to hang around to fellowship, uh, go outside, uh, even if you can space around in here and do that. It it is a great joy to see you this morning, to be with you this morning, and now to lift our voices in worship together. Uh, So let's do that now.